Alvin was in second grade. The teacher called on him to come up to the board and write the answer to a math problem. The teacher's desk and the board behind were set on a small platform, and when Alvin walked up, he forgot about the slight rise, and he tripped, and he fell flat on his face. And everyone burst out laughing, which you can kind of expect from seven-year-olds. But the teacher looked down at Alvin and said to the class, Alvin is not an asset. What do you suppose Alvin remembered from second grade? What do you suppose played over and over in Alvin's mind for years afterwards? What do you suppose helped shape Alvin's story and his belief about himself? Alvin is not an asset. Have you had moments like that? Where you felt embarrassed or humiliated? And whether it happened last week or decades ago, it's still a pretty fresh memory for you just right here. You can still see it and hear it and maybe it still defines how you see yourself. You might have really done something with your life, but you still hear the bad stuff from years ago. Years later, Alvin became very successful in life, but what tape do you suppose still played in his head? Alvin went out to lunch one day with some of his colleagues, and while they were waiting for their food, Alvin was telling a story. We all talked with our hands, and at one point in the story, Alvin made a quick movement with his hands and connected with the plate the server was going to set down in front of him. The plate went flying, and food went everywhere. Alvin was mortified, because what did he hear in his head? Alvin is not an asset. So he immediately apologized profusely. He got up to help the server, and when he sat down again, totally humiliated, one of his colleagues said, Alvin, you are one of the most gracious people I have ever met in my life. What? That moment changed Alvin's life. He began to see himself differently. He began to live into a new story, a different reality. It helped him see what was really true about himself, that he was a gracious and kind person, not an embarrassment. In some ways, that story had always been there. He just needed to learn to live into it. This is one of the reasons we're studying Ephesians this year. It tells us a different story. It introduces us to a different reality. It gives us a picture of what's going on at the cosmic level and how things in the spiritual realm affect the physical realm. It's about how God wins over the evil powers that have enslaved the world. It's about the truth of who we are and how things really are. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, 
according to the plan who, of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We all have a story. Maybe you're thinking, I don't get what you're talking about. This idea of me having a story or living into a story. Well, when your grandkids ask you about what life was like when you were young, you know, during the Lincoln administration, what you tell them, that's your story. When you share about the missions trip you went on with the youth group last summer, that's your story. Our stories are filled with good stuff and bad stuff. So why is it that the negative stuff is what sticks with us? We remember the positive, but it's the mistakes that tend to damage us. Maybe it was a disastrous business decision. Maybe you married the wrong person, maybe more than once. Maybe you cheated or lied or stole from your employer. Or maybe you have a few secrets that you'd be embarrassed about if they saw the light of day. And so you believe things about yourself. Alvin wasn't an asset. Maybe you believe that you're a loser or unattractive or stupid or not man enough or fill in the blank. I won't ask you to call it out or share it with your neighbor. Add to that that there's a story that our culture tells us about how we should be and what we should think like and what our body should look like and what our lifestyle should be like. And that story of what success looks like can be really destructive sometimes. Ephesians tells a different story, a new story that God calls us to live into. I want to start with a story with some really important words that bring us back before our story begins. Words like chosen and predestined. Paul uses those words both twice. Anytime something is repeated, we need to pay attention because it's repeated for a reason because it's important. It reminds me of the old Swede who loved his wife so much he almost told her one day. Sometimes we need to actually hear things, and sometimes we need to hear them over and over, like God loves you. But what Paul tells us in Ephesians is that there is a depth of God's love that maybe we don't get, so he's going to tell us twice. When we think of chosen, we think like dating apps or job interviews. Will they like me? Will they swipe right or will they swipe left? Will I fit in? All those are value judgments based on subjective criteria. And that's how we're used to being evaluated. Are we good enough? Are we attractive enough? Are we skilled enough? But God didn't wait to see if you'd add value to his organization or to see how talented you were or how attractive you were. God pre-loved you. That's what chosen and predestined means. You are pre-loved. Mulda's daughter Rachel decided that she wanted a dog. So she did lots of research. She checked the Humane Society and rescue groups. She got rejected by the rescue groups and dogs at the Humane Society were too big. So eventually she decided she was going to get a puppy. She did a lot of research. She found a reputable breeder and made contact with her. They talked about what Rachel was looking for, boy, girl, color, and then she got this email from the breeder. I will have a dog for you. She will be born in 60 days. 
That means that the dog who would have Rachel's puppy had been pregnant for only about a week. It wasn't a puppy, it was like 16 cells. Then it would be another nine weeks before she would be ready to come home. That day, five months before she would ever meet her, Rachel fell in love with the puppy, who she would one day name Rosie. She prepared for her, she watched videos, she got what she would need, and when she finally saw her for the first time, she had already loved her for five months. And here is a picture of Rachel and Rosie. That's a picture of pre-loved. If you've ever been pregnant or you've ever been adopting a child, you know the feeling. We loved you before we met you. You were anticipated. You were prepared for. You were cared for. You were loved when you were only just a thought. How would that affect you to know that God's feelings towards you are not based on you earning his love? They aren't based on how much you produce or how smart you are or how often you exceed expectations. You are loved, period. And you were loved before you were born. You are pre-loved by God. God has and always has had a yearning to love you. So what were we chosen and predestined for? Adoption, as children of God. We were on the outside. And we all know what it's like to be on the outside. You knew it when you realized that everyone else got invited to something and you didn't. Or everyone else knows something and nobody told you. It might not even be because they were trying to exclude you. It's just because it's patently obvious that you aren't on the insides. So it never occurred to them to tell you. Our church works really hard to be warm and caring, to make people feel like they belong, not like they're outsiders. Years ago at another church, a family in our community lost a son tragically. They desperately needed to be surrounded by people, to be loved and be cared for. And so they came and they attended a regular dinner at our church we had. And as often happens, new people come early. They went through the line and they sat down at what I knew was the table populated regularly by some longtime members. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. The long-term members squeezed into their table and barely acknowledged the other people. They were reminded that they were not insiders and they never became insiders. That's not the way God treats us. And now we're on the inside because God makes us family. And so it's so important that we extend that welcome to others. Verse 7, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. This theme will come up again in Ephesians. Does it sound exclusionary, like there's only one way to God? It does to some, but hear it this way. You can't earn your way to God, and you don't need to. Everything that needs to be done so that you can have a fresh start, a clean slate, a relationship to God which will lead to healthy relationships with others has already been done by Jesus when he died on the cross and was raised again from the dead. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you need to do to earn God's love. You've already got it because of God's grace. And what are we predestined for? For his plan and his purpose. First of all, God isn't remote. God didn't just wind things up and walk away. God isn't standing up in heaven, wringing his hands, going, well, this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. God is present, and God has a purpose for us and for all of creation. And here's some of his purposes. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless, we read that as to not have any fun. 
But what it really means is to be fully participating in the new creation, which is characterized by love and joy and hope and peace. To be holy is to be set apart for God. We tried a bunch of other things that didn't pan out so well. We're following Jesus. We're set apart for him. We make lifestyle choices. We rearrange priorities to reflect kingdom values. Blameless. I've committed my life. In the words of the old gospel song, I have been to Jesus for the saving power. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I recognize that I can't do this thing on my own with any degree of success. I need God's grace and mercy in my life. He also made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ Jesus to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Unity. Our annual meeting, that's what people talked about. Wasn't it nice to not fight? Wasn't it nice to have unity? Now unity isn't the same as uniformity, but unity is about purpose. And that's what God wants for us. And he wants us to be for the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. He says this three different times, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, his grace, to his grace. We talked about how when something is repeated, you need to pay attention. This time it's repeated three times. We live to the praise of his glory, which is interesting language. You'd think maybe we live to praise his glory, but it says we live for or to the praise of his glory. In other words, our lives are a testimony of his goodness. Our lives reflect the goodness of God. Our lives point to a different reality, a new story. Now, we all have good days and bad days, but this is a reminder. One of the chief purposes that God has for us is to live to the praise of his glory. So you did this thing that you always do that I find incredibly annoying, and I can feel the anger boiling up inside of me, and then I go, wait, if I react like that, it brings no glory to God. It doesn't reflect that my life is being changed to be like Jesus. Okay, instead of punching you into the throat, I'm gonna to count to 10 and pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, that passed. This is a doxology, it's a praise to God, a call to worship, that's what we live for. A couple of interesting things about worship. Worship reminds us about the truth about God and ourselves. Every week we retell the story. Every week we sing of God's goodness. Every week we hear God's word tell us truth. Every week we confess our sins and share the sacrament and are reminded and emboldened and strengthened by Jesus' death and resurrection. Every week we remind ourselves that sin and evil don't win, although some days we live like they do. Worship keeps this reality alive in front of us. Worship refuses to accept the lies of the culture. It helps us to live into the new story that God has already written. Living now isn't easy. We live in an in-between age, and it's not straightforward or easy to live between the cross and the second coming. We live in enemy territory, and we need to constantly be aware of the pull into destructive patterns of life. And one of the things that will help is that we have to understand that what we're called to is living a cross-shaped life, not just gathering biblical or spiritual insights. And people can tell the difference. This happens to me all the time. I have a couple of areas of expertise, and I can tell within two sentences if you know what you're talking about in those areas. This happens. You may have the book of Ephesians memorized, 
But if your life isn't characterized by love and a desire to have every aspect of your life come under the lordship of Jesus, you'll just get dismissed and maybe end up doing more harm than good to the cause of Christ. We certainly have seen that over the last several years as many churches have lost their moorings. We can also tell the difference because our life is characterized by anxiety and anger, restlessness and hopelessness. Nothing seems to satisfy us. When we live a cross-shaped life, we find hope and peace and joy and satisfaction. It's a choice we make. God has done things for us, and then we have to respond. There's agency in the passage, too. What story are we going to believe? We have to put our hope in Christ. We have to actually believe and then act about the new story. There are things that we need to respond to. God has acted, God has called us, God has loved us, and now we have to respond. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, what story do you believe about yourself? Number two, how can knowing you were pre-loved by God affect your life? Number three, are you just gathering biblical insights or are you becoming more like Jesus?